You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, podcast, whatever it is, wherever you're listening. My name's Clancy Overall and I'm joined, of course, by Effie Bateman, head of lifestyle, culture, and she knows when everyone's birthdays are. Joining us today, one recurring guest, one first-timer, Bree Lee and Bridie Jabour. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. This is Bridie, so that your audience knows my voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm Bree. Great to be here. <laughs> so Bridie, the Grafton Rebel, South Grafton Rebel, and Bree, the expatriated Queenslander. Yes. Yes. Proudly and happily. Proudly and happily. Proud of both. <laughs> proud of being there from there and proud of leaving. Um you guys have just started a podcast, a video podcast. You, you could almost argue it's a show. Mate, all the effort. I was actually thinking of our friends who work in morning television this morning as I'm getting ready leisurely at 8 a.m. and putting on my lipstick and doing my makeup and checking my hair. And I'm like, man, I can't believe Brooke Boney is thinking this much about how she looks every morning of the mm. week at, th- at like 4 a.m. Yeah. They're weapons. How do they do it? I don't it? know how they do it. But, yes, we're on YouTube. We're also – Wherever you get your podcast. Yep. Cool story with yep. Bree and Bridie. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Now, both writers, authors, Bree, you've been nonfiction. Yes, so far. Yep. And Bridie, you could argue you've done nonfiction too. Yeah. yeah I, like I literally just, published yeah. nonfiction, so yeah. you could argue that. <laughs> I could yeah. say I've published nonfiction. Yes, Trivial Grievances was nonfiction, series yeah. of essays. And before that, a novel, The Way Things Should Be. Called The Way Things Should Be because I just thought it was so funny to have a book called The Way Things Should Be by Bridie Jabour. And the joke just kept going and going and going until it was just actually the title of my novel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, mu- that must be such a hard thing for you guys to do is slave over a title because you want it to pop, but you want it to be relevant. That's the hardest bit. You don't bit. want to be a marketeering freak like... I can speak to this yeah. at present. So my next book comes out in April next year. It's fiction. So huge, exciting change pivot for me. And I had it named one thing for four and a half years of working on it and then needed to change it after feedback from a marketing department, you know, put, went through the process of having like words on cards on a wall, looking like a freaking freak, like swapping things around, came to a second title that everyone was happy with and now just heard last week that we need to change it again. (gasps) Oh, that's tough. Why do you need to change it again? Well, it's... Okay, so what I'm really good at is sitting by myself in a room for five years working on a book. What I am not good at is marketing. Making it hot. Yeah, Yeah. like that's not my job and I have a huge amount of respect for the people for who that is their job and we all win if my book has a title that actually sells it. So who decided the second title wasn't good? I thought it had been signed off and everything. No, it's like a roundtable discussion with my publisher and okay. their, like the marketing people, the sales people, the publicity people, and my so actual person. Basically, publisher. the writer, the publisher, and all of the overrated common sense in the room. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a tough one. I feel like authenticity pops no matter what, right? Can you say what the first title? Yeah, was? okay. Because yeah. it's actually don't be funny. annoying. Don't no, be no, annoying. No, no. And no we I don't want to be annoying. annoying no. Well, now that it will definitely not be called this, yeah, I can yeah. talk about it. So what? I, it's pretty funny, actually. What I called it for many, many years was Providence Provenance. Ooh, I like And that. the feedback I got, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with this, but the feedback I got <laughs> was that an insufficient spread of the public understand separately what the words Providence and Provenance yeah. actually mm. mean and put together it would be 
too much and too confusing. They were worrying about me. And then my, <laughs> my, my partner said, yeah, I asked for his advice. He hasn't read it yet. He doesn't read it till it's like finished. And I was like, well, what do you think about Providence, Providence? And he goes, oh, it's a bit like the rural juror. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fuck you. Rural I, I also did hear your agent refer to it at the end of last year as PP. <laughs> <laughs> the PP book, I which know. I thought was PP by Brie Lee. Yeah. yeah. So as you can see, listeners, there's uh, a flow and chemistry in this particular combination of Brie Lee and Bridie Jabour, and I do want to kind of comment on the different backgrounds you've both had before getting into writing. Brie, you have a legal background, which I'll let you explain because uh, I don't know enough about that world to use the right terminology. And Bridie, you were on the grind. Gold Coast Bulletin. You know, you came up through Queensland's. I do. I'm spiritually a Queenslander. I came yeah. I got a cadet at the Gold Coast Bulletin, and yeah. then I worked at Brisbane Times, which is nine slash Fairfax's yeah. online news website. So I was there. I was in Queensland for my formative years, yeah. eighteen to twenty four ish. So you got to understand the unique, just way of life up there, and. Legally, you would have seen that too, Brie. I mean, you wrote about it. Yeah, talking about the grind. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I went through law school and then worked for a year in the Queensland District Court and then uh, wrote my first book, which torched my legal career, but did well enough that I now have this much more fun, enjoyable new <laughs> career of being a writer. What would you have done? I have actually wondered this, and I always keep forgetting to ask you, even though I've known you for years and see you all the time, but I always forget to ask. That book was a great success. But what would you have done if it wasn't? Because it would have torched your legal career even if it wasn't a success, wouldn't it? Totally. That was the gamble. And nobody was – everyone was surprised by how well that book went because, for context, it's a lot about inbuilt misogyny, like rampant misogyny in the legal system. But before it was cool to talk about misogyny. Exactly. (laughs) I started writing it before Harvey Weinstein, before Me Too. It came out before Me Too, didn't it? No, it came out the year. That's why. So, like, my publisher took a punt on it when that was not – a thing and it's it's very interesting because in the world of publishing there's just such like it takes such a long time right to write a book and then it's there's usually at least a year's delay between when you finish the draft and when it comes out if you're trying to catch a wave you'll be too Mm. late and it's just that sometimes it happens yeah it's a lot of hard work but I was also very very lucky with like the year and the month even that that book was published no one was more surprised than I but yeah I took that risk what led you to make that gamble Push and pull factors. Mm. I mean, there was, I only worked in law for that one year after graduating and I was always the youngest and most inexperienced person in any room, let alone the courtroom. But just what I was seeing was so fucking blatantly outrageous and unethical. Mm. Then like made a very long story made very short. I went to the cops and made a complaint about something that was done to me and then two years of an investigation unfolded and I got all the way to trial and I just realised there was so few people who had work experience in the court system in any state or territory who were willing to risk their careers by speaking openly about it. Mm. And then there were even fewer who had seen what that process was like from the other side from start to finish as a complainant, like as someone trying to access justice going all the way through having absolutely no power and no control and being the last one to know and so honestly at that time in my life I was also just so 
cooked and burned yeah. and sort of re-traumatized and feeling so wrecked that I sort of couldn't fathom trying to go straight into a law job, certainly not in Brisbane, but also by then, like there's no way I would work defence yeah. after what I had yeah. seen was the sort of cultural norm in that city and state. But then if I wanted to go to the DPP, like it was unfathomable to me that I would go and apply for a job and then have to say, by the way, I actually have a case that's active on <laughs> yeah, one of, of your desks. Like, yeah. so in a way there were like, there were just so many push and pull factors that I just, then I just felt like someone had to fucking talk about it. And, and when you did, I want to know, did you get, and you do a little bit of stuff now, you go and talk to people in that, you know, world and you kind of, you're viewed as someone who's saying the quiet bit loud. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you get the old veterans, the old female kind of legal eagles coming up and saying, thank you for doing this or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I get... we've been waiting for you or something like that? I would not... Waiting for someone like you? There are a lot of people who are glad that somebody was finally, like, willing to take <laughs> to their, their own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but there's been, I would say... 20 to 1, like 20 people who have been glad to read what I wrote. Yeah. Mm. Who And these, I'm just saying 20 to 1 who have somehow communicated that with yeah. me or like fucking tagged me in a review on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, but then there was also serious pushback, um, pushback yeah. from specifically the legal community in Brisbane and people. There was a like character assassination yeah. campaign. People lied about how I wrote the book, people lied about me having like backstabbed the great judge that I worked for, which was mm. not at all true. Like people were just saying any shit about me they could. So Brisbane's that they... one of those cities where it's just small enough yeah. that you can't kind of hide away either. No. Everyone's on it. And yeah. it was fucking classic ad hominem. Yeah. And like something, the phrase I came up with for my second big book was like, there's a defensive spark Sometimes when you have offended against somebody's right to believe in themselves. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And when I cop hate often these days, now that it's been a few years, like it really hurt for yeah. a while and it was like difficult, made both mine and my partner's life quite difficult. But these days, now that the book's been out for so long, most of the people who are still trying to talk shit about it in some way are saying a lot more about themselves than they are about me. Mm. Yeah. But you still have maintained this ability to burn bridges and roll grenades into rooms. Uh, namely, your most <laughs> recent article on uh, what's been happening in the Australian fashion world, which I know the same shit would be happening now. And dinner parties around Australia, they'd be questioning how you went about that and what you said and what you saw and everything. Personally, I thought it was delicious what you wrote. And I felt like there was like a paralysis in Australian media to talk about the things you talked about. The title, which is glorious, which I cannot personally take credit for, for the um, editorial team at The Monthly. It's called Dedaporte, which is a, pla a pun on the like huge online retailer, Netaporte. Yeah. So I'm going to be very cautious about how I articulate what the article is about, as I think we all should be. Yeah, yeah the paralysis, um, I'm just going to say the paralysis in the Australian media about this is more about our like very bad defamation yes. system yeah, yeah. and how difficult something like that is to yeah. follow. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't think they're taking uh, money from too many big fashion people in yeah. Australian yeah. media. Like, <laughs> 
So the the human side of the story, which we can just speak about, is that there are garment manufacturers, makers, individual human beings, living in particular out in Western Sydney, like Western Western Sydney and inner Western Sydney, uh, who are overwhelmingly, as you can probably imagine, from like migrant backgrounds, or at least certainly not English first language backgrounds. These are not rich people. They're certainly not sort of fancy people who have any kind of media connections. You never hear their names, and yet they are the ones who actually make the clothes that then end up on the celebrities. When Ellery Land Proprietary Limited, which is the full business name, one of the many business names of Kim Ellery's like fashion design label in Australia... When Ellery Land went into voluntary receivership in 2019, it did so with over $2 million in unsecured creditors. And what my article in The Monthly does is essentially a bit of good old-fashioned forensic accounting, Mm -hmm. looking into ASIC records about shell companies and at what dates certain transfers of money and transfers of trademarks were made and... I went and interviewed these makers and that took Mandarin interpreters in particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, that was a huge component to this story was the same reason why they couldn't speak out about the debts that they were owed in 2019. It's layers of power, right? Layers of like access. And I went and spoke to um, one of the partners at Mark Lawyers who was telling me that the corporate regulator is completely useless Mm -hmm. to try and help unsecured creditors in circumstances like this because the the crux of the argument is that it was not fair that Ellery continued trading overseas and then also has still subsequently done very lucrative great big business deals on like collaborations back in Australia where there are still these makers whose lives were ruined and derailed by how much debt they got into making for Ellery when Ellery then did not pay those debts. Mm. And the final thing I would say about it, which you raised, is that my bigger frustration was how the story of Ellery's extraordinary success just kept being told in the same way, even with this same sort of rhetoric, even after the closure in 2019. And all the people whose lives were sort of in ruins after that closure Mm. just had to sort of suck it up silently. Yeah, it's all swept under the rug. They weren't. Girl bosses, they were no. non-English speaking immigrants in warehouses. Yeah. Is that is that what you're saying? Her narrative was her narrative was the rags to riches. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and and even verbatim, there was this big article in the Fin Review in a glossy lift out from the Fin Review when she was sort of on her meteoric rise, and her whole thing was um, from the Pilbara to Paris. Okay, yeah. mm. and it's just yeah. So PP again. <laughs> it's a theme in brief life <laughs> The Pilgrim to Paris That might be a non-fiction book yet And uh, just to reiterate yeah. n- Neither myself nor The Monthly Have ever suggested that Kim Ellery Engaged in illegal activities Bridie, tell me about some of the big stings Were you the one that blew open the taxi cartel Paying off the Catter family? <laughs> <laughs> no Uber in Queensland <laughs> What were my big stings in Queensland? Well, I flew to Longreach to hang out with Prince Charles and Camilla. What? Ew. (laughs) What was that like? (laughs) I didn't actually hang out with them. You don't get anywhere near them. But it was... um but it, it was would amazing be hard to not get near him in a town like Longreach. Yeah, well, actually, I was right in front of Camilla. She has amazing skin, IRL. 
But as, you know, a devoted Republican, both in the Australian sense and, and in the yeah. Irish sense, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't overly impressed by them. But his suits were amazingly well cut. Did they not do any background checks oh, on you? <laughs> it was my editor who knew me very well who sent me and I was like, they didn't okay. didn't think to ask about where your mother was on a certain day in Irish history. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got up close and personal with them there, but it was, well, I'm not even talking about the big scoops. I'm just talking about the funny moments in my career. Another very funny moment in my career to look back on is when I was growing up in Grafton, everyone was into the NRL. I watched the NRL. I like vaguely went for the bunnies, but that was about it. And I would watch games and obviously for the South Grafton Rebels, my cousins all played in those teams. You know, I'd go to McKittrick Park a lot. Loved the Rebels, hated the Ghosts. Yeah, but knew football, ghost. but wasn't like completely devoted and um when i was 19 uh there was like some football camp oh there was an origin camp some football camp it was the maroons origin camp and i got sent to do like the color of it you know see the players and get a few quotes so i interview a player and at the end i'm like okay and what's your name and he's like jonathan thurston (laughs) and i said and how do i spell that and he's just like j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n and i was like and and what's your position (laughs) And he's like, I'm the captain. <laughs> and, and, then, and then I did the same thing to Mal Meninga. Oh, yeah. And um and he but he was so lovely and so cool about it. And I then later on in my life met my husband and became like a very devoted North Queensland Cowboys fan and was actually physically there in the in the stadium in 2015. <laughs> Um, and so, and you know, brought the house down. What an incredible night! And so, I still laughed myself. I'm like, oh my god, Bridie, you didn't like you had the opportunity of meeting him and you didn't know at the time. But credit to him, he was so lovely and cool. Didn't bat an eyelid. What an eyelid! It wasn't until I walked away, the photographer was like, "Did you seriously just ask JT what his name is?" It's so good that you became a devoted fan later yeah, of like, his team. Yeah, and everyone, then- everyone else in that stadium remembers the first time they saw JT, which was this young kid came up from, you know, Lala Toowoomba to Townsville. You're like, the first time I saw JT, I was asking him how to spell his name. Yeah, and he was famous. He was playing for the Maroons and he was famous. But he was cool and I always respected he was cool because it is funny in this profession who gets shitty and who doesn't. And you remember Indy on the Gold Coast, the car? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that used to be huge. Where they shut down the entire city. Yeah, they shut down Surfers Paradise. Well, it's not V8s, they're Indy cars. Oh, well, maybe they do V8s as well, but they're Indy, you know, that specific Indy cars. And so it's a huge thing for the Gold Coast. We covered it. um, And I was at some night and asked a driver his name, like doing social photographs where you take photos of people and take down their names. It's a very junior job. And I um, asked this guy his name, this French IndyCar driver, and I can't remember his name, and he got so shitty at me and was like, you should know my name. <laughs> and he said, how do you even call yourself a journalist? And stormed off. And I was like. He <laughs> has no right to assume that you would know who he is. A French indie exactly. driver. Like, exactly. Like JT so- should get mad at me <laughs> yeah, in no. Queensland while he's in his maroons gear for not knowing who he is. So I just feel like even if even if somebody goes, how do you spell that? And Madonna is like M-A-D-O-N-N-A. Yeah. Just don't be a dick. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. JT wasn't a dick, but this IndyCar driver wouldn't even tell me his name. So as we can see, there's two different careers, two different brands of, of journalism. You're like, Bridie, you are on the beat. You've been on the beat and you've been covering, you know, the news cycle. Bree, you've been, you know, biding your time and 
shooting people with arrows into the heel. Yeah, I'm a little stealthy. Stealthy, glass a bit more investigative <laughs> uh, with that kind of stuff. Where did you two meet? Was it at a writing mm. writing festival, writers festival, or was it? Righty, uh, you should tell this story. Is there a cute story? There's a deranged story. There's a deranged story. So Brie and I, our books actually came out the same year. You'll still find hers on the shelf. (laughs) 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 The way things should be by Bridie Javor, a little bit more difficult to find in 2023 than it was in 2018. So my book came out in 2018, around the same time as Brie, and in December 2017, I'd given birth to my first child. And I was actually, when I was in labour, I was actually sending back edits. Jesus. Which I didn't need to do. That didn't need to be done. That was just me being a psycho. Anyway, so the book. um, And so when we both got booked for Brisbane Writers Festival, I'd read Brie's book and loved it and actually was specifically looking for her at the festival. Also because of my great affection for Queensland, I love it when there's like a successful writer outside of Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. Mm, you know, I love yeah. Sydney. I love living here. But it, it was, I read her book. I loved it. I also, I love that she was a Brisbane girl. I was at Brisbane Writers Festival five months after I'd given birth and looking for Brie Lee. And I spot her at the opening night party. And I go up and I said, oh, hi, like I'm Bridie. I read your book. I loved it. She was very nice. And, you know, we got chatting. And then f- she was with like two, uh, one or two other mates and also her publisher, Jane, who I always remember her reaction the most. For some reason, I went into an incredibly detailed blow-by-blow account of my birth (laughs) 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 that went for like 25 minutes. It went for a very long time. The colour, the colour, they weren't bored though. They were like shocked and like the colour drained from their faces. They were all younger than me. Only a few years, but the colour drains from their faces and I remember Jane, your publisher, sitting kind of a little bit in the background and the look on her face was why is this girl telling them this story? Like, so why good. is this? And but then we kept talking outside, and so they asked you, made you "What's been going on with you?" Yeah. <laughs> and then outside, I was. Um, that was when I like I stopped smoking. That was my first attempt at being a non-smoker, and, and my first attempt at being a non-smoker. I was, of course, after three beers, standing outside. Yeah. Smoking like, ciggies with me. And we talked and talked and talked all night. And I remember being like, you want a ciggy? And you're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'll light another. <laughs> and then <you> kept going. <laughs> That's weird. I was smoking. You were, then. but I was smoking more because you, yeah. you'd had one and, yeah. you were, and then you'd had enough. And I was like, I will never have enough. Give me more. It's a very romantic idea of the writers. We met, we had a cigarette. We were... <laughs> I told her an incredibly graphic story about that. <laughs> and then, um, and really moved to Sydney and we just kept, running into each other and hanging out. And I do think that there is a thing in Sydney of being friends with and hanging out with people who aren't Inside or from outside here, us, yeah. like didn't grow yeah. up here. The last time I had a big house party, I was looking around and I, because I've been in Sydney now for four years. And I, last time I had a big house party, I was looking around and realised that three quarters of the friends we have here are not actually from Sydney. Yeah. No, no one's from Sydney. It's hard, yeah. No, no one's, one's ever from Sydney. from Sydney. Like name the biggest names that come out of Sydney. It's like Nicole Kidman. She's from England. Like no one's from Sydney. Well, they're not living at home. That's a big thing too mm. about getting out there in the world is not having a. I have a couple of a friends. single bed to resort to. If I have, yeah, exactly. You've got to make. I have a couple of friends who I I deign to let them into my friendship circle who grew up in Sydney. And I was just telling one of them a guy the other week. He went to this school. I can never remember the names, but he pointed it out to me when we were at Circular Keys. Like that's my school. I'm like, are you serious? 
And he's like got a view of the harbour, like the opera house. I'm like, that's where you went to school. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, no wonder you're so brain damaged. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you go to school every day and look at this view and thinks it's no- and think yeah. it's normal, you can't come out a normal human yeah. being. And he There's was just no like, yeah, fair enough. I, wouldn't, I also wouldn't learn anything if I had the harbour out the window. Imagine that. Did you learn anything anyway? I can't imagine you yeah, being no, a very the, devoted the, student. Yeah, yeah. Vulture Street was just riveting. I imagine your report card would be um, is a distraction to others. Did you get that? High maintenance. High High maintenance. maintenance. Mm. I love school. I was great at school. Were you a pleasure to teach, (laughs) Bridie? No, I wasn't a pleasure to teach. I was. um, I was talked too much, but is but is very engaged in her work or like Mm. very um, works hard and but talks too much. I wasn't a pleasure to teach. What about you, Effie? I was need to apply herself more. That was mine. <laughs> what about you? What were you? Pleasure to teach. Just enthusiastic. Just, yeah. Just yeah. always, but like Brie brings a great energy to class. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. nice. I think I got a little bit of the good energy, but like too much. Too much, you know. We, we like the kid, but he's fucking annoying. <laughs> Is that what you're raising now? Two rowdy Irish, Italian, Lebanese... North Queenslanders. Oh my god, my <laughs> my son has just started school and got his first school report. He's in kindergarten and he got his first school report and he's learning to read, which is a thrill for a parent to watch and like blows your mind watching someone learn. So and I'm like, look at this genius. He is tearing it up. He just saw the word it in a sign. And then I got his report card back and it, basically it was all competencies were like basic. Yeah. And all effort was outstanding. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's trying really hard, but maybe he's a bit of a himbo. Mm. And um, and his big comment was he approaches everything with a zest for life. And I was like, oh, he's his mum's son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that that's my so much. Trait. I feel like they go further. It's always like the I feel like the kids who are like the genius students in primary school, you know, they're the ones they kind of learn to coast and then don't apply themselves as much after school, but it's... I, I don't want to gift... I want a crack wizard. I'm yeah. raising... Yeah. Crack as in C-R-A-I-C, as in loves the crack. I don't want... I don't want <laughs> no, a genius. Yeah. I don't want... To, I don't it's want like a, an Irish term for yeah. fun. I don't oh, want... Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's I fun. Was, I was thinking crack <laughs> no, no, cocaine, but no, I'm no, still no, going no, with no, it. crack for fun. <laughs> love crack. the crack. My <laughs> brother did not translate that at my wedding and at my wedding got up in front of everyone and it was like people from all different walks of my life, from school... My family, obviously, my extended family, tons of people from The Guardian and, like, people I'd met in Sydney. And he just kept saying, Bridie loves the crack <laughs> and Bridie's great crack. And he is someone who never explains what he means. Crack. And so I could see some people being like, what is he talking about crack, Bridie and crack? Anyway, but crack wizard means, like, you're just tons of fun. And I'm more mm. focused on my kid having a sick one. Then, yeah. um, you know, he's going to be fine. I'm sure that he is smart. He's going to be fine. As you can see, listeners, this is uh, an incredible kind of. We've got several gears here on this podcast. Cool story with Brie and Bridie. As we said, so we could talk about eggshell skulls. We can talk about hyperactive young boys. And there's a gel, right? Have people told you that when you're out and about that you guys. Bounce chemistry. Off each other? Chemistry. Yeah, chemistry. Yes, that's the word we get. Good, great chemistry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, this is who we want mm. discussing. Whatever you're discussing each week, and it is topical, right? Like you, your podcast will cover what's in the news and break. So it's it down. like the biggest story of the week, and we do a bit of analysis, and that can be anything from like the housing crisis to illegal logging to stats around drinking and marijuana use by forty-year-olds. And then it's also like the story that everyone's talking about mm. in the week, like what you've seen go viral that week, which doesn't get dissected, like it doesn't. We just have before we're sitting there looking at these screens, forced to 
Yeah, and so we dissect that and we also, we have to obviously talk about books. But I think we make, is it a conscious effort or is is it that we're both just incredibly interesting? But we make make an effort. We were ugly at the right time. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we make an effort to talk about books that you might not necessarily have heard of as well. So we won't talk about the books that... Uh, you know the biggest hit of the month. There's a lot of you know what really I only writing. yeah. What I only realized this week as well is that what I like that our show does and the way I think about it is that books, as I've already said, take years. They take years to write and then years to release, and they're sort of like the long and slow burn. But they can and often do make huge cultural impact. What I like about our show is that you get a discussion of that like long slow burn culture and an understanding of how that connects to the things that happen every week. Because Ooh. otherwise I feel like if I don't have the books and the long, slow burn pieces, I'm just consuming dozens and dozens of news stories every single week with no ability to contextualise them Ooh. or appreciate how far we've come or mm. is this the same conversation we were having a decade ago or is it actually new and different? Yeah. Oh, that's a great way to say that we're really interesting and smart. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. I, I, I feel uh, more interesting and smarter having sat here and had this yarn. Where can we find you? Want to hear a cool story? <laughs> Find us wherever you get your podcast. We're also on YouTube if you want to see okay. what we look like when we're talking. And Brie always wears like a great, elegant outfit. But and people- I wear what I'm wearing. Yeah. <laughs> and people rave about Bridie's curls. Just oh, leave that as a teaser for the audio both listeners. Both beautiful hair. I love it. I know. It works so well for our promo photos, didn't yeah, it? Our hair yeah. and contrast. But you do get oh, mistaken yeah, for yeah. Annabelle Crab. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe we'll be big enough that one day she'll be mistaken for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just have one last question. You guys talk about pretty, you know, highbrow topics. I would like to know what is your disgusting guilty pleasure? Like, are you into Love Island? Or like, what is something you're a little bit ashamed? So, I about? would never be ashamed of my trashy taste, <laughs> but I actually cannot watch Love Island because of how much it consumes my entire life. Wow. So I will not read anything. I will, like, be so disengaged at work. Every bit of free time is filled with Love Island to the point where when the last season I was watching, I went out for a lunch that turned into a dinner my husband was at home looking after the boys. He's like, bride is out, whatever, went to bed. He woke up at 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom and I was sitting there watching Love Island. Oh, my God. You <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is how obsessed I get. And then he walked out and, he, and I just turned behind me, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so that is how much I love Love Island. And at the moment my trashy taste is and just like that. So what about you, Brie? What's your... I'm profoundly uninterested in everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any guilty pleasures. I do spend longer than I ought to scrolling through Reddit every week. Oh, I love Reddit. But I justify that to myself because I need to know what's going on. Well, we got all that and more on Brie and Bridie available where you get your podcasts and YouTube.